Hello, welcome to the Small Gamer. I'm your host, Rob. And this is the Age of Sigmar Stat Center. I'm joined by the Twitch chat, as you can see here, where we record the Stat Center every Monday, 11 a.m. BST. Today, I'm going to be going through the event results from the weekend like I normally do, but today is slightly different. And that's because we have just had a new General's Handbook, which is the, uh, well, it was six months, but yearly now, uh, book for our missions and how to play Age of Sigmar. Last one was six months long. The new one is 12 months long, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, now, none of the events that happened at the weekend, apart from one, were using the new GHB. We also, last week, had a battle scroll update as well, uh, where we saw massive changes to things like coherency and also lookout sir rule, um, as well as some nominal points changes. So today's show will be a little bit different to the shows that I normally do through uh, every Monday. Normally, I use the Monday show for myself and the chat, we hang out together to talk about the lists that are currently playing in the current meta of the game. And we talk about what we like about them, how they play, uh, what's happening with them. And we shout out the people who've done really well at those events with those armies. Now, there were loads of people playing this weekend. In fact, there were 438 people playing Age of Sigmar this weekend, which is great. Over eight countries. But only one of the events uh, used the new GHB, new battle scroll and new points. So that's the one we're going to be talking about. It just happens to be the event that I ran. I also live streamed that event this weekend as well on the T-Sports Network. So you can go and watch some of those games. And I also recorded several of those games, which are videos I will post later in the week. So if you would like to see the most relevant and up-to-date GHB stuff, then this, I guess, will be the show where I'm going to talk about those things and will always be the show where I talk about those things. I hope everyone who attended an event this weekend had a wonderful time. I'm going to shout all those events out now. Um, but I'm not going to go through all those lists because I'd just be going through uh, lists that don't maybe make sense or aren't relevant. But they might be as well. But it's just a, a task that doesn't need doing. So I hope that makes lots of sense. Uh, now, the biggest event that we had this weekend was the Ace Grand Tournament with 118 players that happened in France. Hope you all had a wonderful time. They had the Kislev Grand Tournament. Tried to guess where it was. It was in Italy and had 71 players. We had the Onslaught event in Scotland with 42 players. Shout out to everyone in Scotland. Uh, Salt City GT over in the USA with 33 players. The Crossroads Carnage this weekend with 32 players. We had the Mile High Open with 29 players in the USA. Uh, at least we tried 28 people in Germany and the bash by the Billabong. Number three, the third bash by the Billabong uh, with 24 players in Australia. Blood and Thunder GT in Canada with 19 players and the Shropshire Slaughter in England with 18 players, which is really fun. Uh, there's also another really interesting stat that we should talk about before we get on and looking at the event from the weekend. And this, the, this is because we've had 11,500 players in events over 318 events over the last year of Age of Sigma, which compared to the previous year has almost doubled, which is amazing. So if you're into the game and you're excited by Age of Sigma, knowing that the event number has doubled is crazy. That's a lot of people. And it means Age of Sigma, and my experience of Age of Sigma as well is it's growing a lot. One of the things I'm going to talk about in a minute is the Age of Sigma culture, and that's developing at a phenomenal pace and is really worth talking about. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Okay, so that's all of my stuff. As always, I'm joined by the Twitch chat and supported by everyone on the Swan Gamer Patreon. So thank you to all of you. Let's go look at some, let's talk about some Age of Sigmar now. Armies and all the other stuff, let's go. So before I talk about the armies, uh, I'd like to just talk about the way these armies have put in um, uh, into BCP. And I would like to shout out uh, Tomo, 
so uh, Gareth over from the Old Town Throwdown. So a couple of months ago on the Stat Center, we covered the fact that what he did uh, was he kept notes on his army list when he submitted his army list so players would have uh, a more helpful read through of their his army list and also maybe for himself I'm not sure but it was something that I was super impressed by and we talked about on the stat center now I'm not sure if Peter who I'm about to talk about uh, remembered this or Paul who also did the same thing but if we look and just take a moment before we talk about what's in their lists they did do some fun stuff like uh, Peter's list says anti-magic dog walk and he says uh, that he's got zero wizards and proud which is fun but if you look at when he uh, takes notes for his army, uh, it tells you what the stuff does. He's got Grand Strategy, which is Slaughter of Sorcery, and it says that there are no wizards at the end. His sub-faction is Reapers of Vengeance, and that's plus one to hit heroes and extra blood tithe point on a hero kill. So he made a very small like note for each one of the things. For instance, he's got Players, Blood Sacrifice, that does D3 mortal wounds and generates a blood tithe point. And that's just really, really handy because if you're just using that to constantly look at your opponent's list or look at what his abilities do, like he hasn't hidden any, any information. In fact, he's been more upfront with information than I think we as a culture, Age of Sigmar, tournament gaming as a culture, necessarily do all the time. And it's lovely to see. And, it, and, and again, first person I ever saw do this was Gareth. So I want to shout him out. But it's lovely to see Peter have do, having done this and then Paul also having done this as well. In fact, there was a... a uh, round four they ended up playing each other on the stream we turned their audio on as well I'm gonna talk about that in a minute um, and what they did they just sounded like they had a very very good friendly fun game of Age of Sigmar and I'm gonna talk about that part in a second but just for the list stage I think it's super worth talking about that this is really nice to see done obviously some people aren't gonna do it like it requires a little extra step and requires you to do more work and so it's not going to be something that everyone does. But I just think it's really awesome that they both did it. And I want to thank them as the TO, but also as the person who does the Stat Center every Monday. I also think it's really nice to see. I imagine as an opponent, this feels like it's a really like uh, really healthy way of... You get drawn against someone and it says, oh, you're going to play this guy after lunch. And you're like, oh, God, he's got Spell of Haunchy. Then you have to go find out what it does. And also, because Games Workshop effectively paywalls rules, unless you had bought the Seraphon book, then you wouldn't know what that did unless you went on something like Wahapedia. And while I'm a huge fan of Wahapedia and I think it's great that all the rules are free and I think rules should be free... Um, because I think it helps sell Games Workshop's minis, which is their mission statement. They're a miniatures company. I think the rules being free would be good. Um, you know, Wahapedia is a resource that I guess technically shouldn't exist. Games Workshop have said that they don't want the rules to be free. Uh, so this is, again, a really nice way as a player to help, uh, you know, uh, show your opponent what's happening, which I think is great. The kind of opposite of this, and I'm not sure if it's the opposite, but another version of this which is maybe not as helpful but is definitely funny is from my good friend toby now toby uh, for the entire weekend was wearing a spider on his head because he was the spider ridden and not a spider rider and as you can see in his la list he has lots of spider riders uh spider riders and all sorts of other stuff also we've got scragrot now he's also named all of his units as well so cragnos isn't Cragnos, it's actually Stiznab, for example, uh, and his Scuttleboss and Gigantic Spider is Zonkgaz, which is important, right? This is definitely uh, uh, interesting as an addition. But my favourite part was he then also in his list 
uh, decided to add the additional note of the story of his army. And while we're not going to go through Toby's list in detail, although having only had one GHB event in the world, this does make Toby the most successful um, Scuttleboss and also uh, a Scuttleboss player in the world. Let's read his story because I think it's fun. Because a lot of people say about uh, Age of Sigmar tournament players or tournament players generally that they are not like that they're just into it for numbers and maths. But this weekend I saw a man with a spider on his head play with loads of spiders and he had a story. After their last victory against the Fire Slayers and the great number of Grimrath Berserkers, Spizglub fell down a hole and went on his own adventure. During this time he met an unnaturally old Grot and after a mighty match of riddles in the dark, both Grots cheated, Spizglub found Nibbler's itty ring. He kept the secret from the Grots when he returned, but they knew there was something off about him. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then he's just got loads of spider riders. He had an additional spare spider that you could wear on your hat. Uh, if you were jealous that he was wearing a spider, he brought a spider for you as well. And there was also uh, there was also <laughs> a spider ring, uh, which is fun. So I just wanted to point that out, that what I saw from this weekend was two additional bonus cultural points which i thought was great it was a competitive age of sigmar tournament where people were playing to win and there was some there was a captain of team wells was here for example uh you had like like players who are very good dom's a really great player uh rob's a really good player paul's a really great player um so you had some really great players at the event uh but you also had uh and toby does really well as well uh you have players that are having fun and writing stories and you have players who are making notes to help themselves and help their opponents and I think as a culture, I'm really proud to see that happening. And I'm happy that I talked about the last time I saw that happening. And I hope this conversation means that I see it happen more in the future um, because it's awesome. And I think you're funny and great. So congratulations to all of you. Thanks for being so great. And the last bit we're going to talk about before we talk about the list is the culture of the event. Uh, now, obviously, I was a TO. But what I wanted to say to the players who attended the event, uh, a special thank you from me to you was that you did amazingly in uh, not only in like instilling with me the confidence that the Age of Sigmar culture is getting better, not that it was ever in a bad place, but it's getting better, but also in addition to that, that it's inspiring me as a gamer on a personal level to do better. And the reason I'm talking about it is I'm hoping that people listening to this show also um, take that on board as well. Because A, the atmosphere was great, which was good, um, but also people were playing with amazing spirits. In fact, if you go back and watch any of the stream games, every time I turned the audio on, the players were saying, hey, by the way, don't forget I do this. Hey, don't forget that, which I think was really important. Uh, and I think being clear on the tabletop, not attempting any gotchas, not that I've ever really seen that in AC Sigmar anyway, apart from Worlds, um, like, is is really good and really healthy and it made for a better event. The point I wanted to talk about was though, is I also made uh, chess clocks mandatory on every single table. Um, now there were a bunch of people, I just talked about someone who wrote a whole story uh, for his army. There were loads of people with silly hats. There was more than one hat. In fact, there was a best hat competition. Um, uh, shout out to <laughs> for winning it. Um, uh, there was a best hat competition, but I, I had clocks being mandatory. I think clocks are really healthy and they make the culture of Age of Sigmar tournament gaming much better. So I'd like to see that from everyone who holds events in the future. Uh, and I think that'd be really good because I think that's also important as well. And the last bit I think I'd like to talk about is we also use terrain maps um, at the event. So 
Uh, I put terrain maps out on every table. I actually provided cards uh, for everyone on every table to put the terrain maps out. Those terrain maps are free on the honestwargamer.com forward slash terrain. So if you also would like to play with terrain maps and you can use them in your friendly games at home as well, obviously, uh, those are again free and available online online uh, there probably will be a second version of these that go up so that there's an a and b so if they want someone can choose between one of the two to make it more fun but the ghb only came out this weekend so uh, i'm going to give myself some time to make that so that's kind of the things i'd like to talk about and the reason i think it's really important to mention in the stat show or just in an agency mod show in general is i wasn't responsible for people changing their lists and making them better I wasn't responsible for people uh, having really good table etiquette and being super healthy, uh, which was all on them. I wasn't responsible for them uh, like bringing their tokens and items or having good on-table etiquette. And I didn't hear any complaints or anything like that about clocks. So what I saw was a really healthy community of wargamers play competitive Warhammer really, really well. And I'd just like to say thank you to them. But also I'd like to say it's great seeing that culture develop like and i'm sure that that's true in the usa usa's got an amazing culture you've got everyone from tough crowd wicked dicey and all those other people they've got a really great culture when i was in australia same thing when i've been sweden same thing like and that's true in lots of different places as well it's nice seeing our culture because that's what we are like i'm an age of sigma player you're an age of sigma player probably if you're watching this it's nice seeing our gaming culture get more healthy and better on the tabletop so let's keep that going because we've doubled the number of people playing from last year to this year and we've also improved our culture significantly it's, it's only a win right so i know that's a bit of like a preach but i actually think uh i think that's like i think that's really healthy right let's go talk about the list so the event was called renegades of the realms uh we had 24 players playing uh, and our winner was peter uh peter twig of the Yorkshire Fisters. Uh, so here you can see a picture of him picking up. There it is. Picking up his big prize. What a superstar. Uh, congratulations to him. Currently the most successful player in the whole of this GHB. Best corn player in the world as of today. So what's in his list? That's a great question. Uh, he's got the anti-magic dog walk. Corn drops. Uh, and he's got six drops. Zero wizards and proud. <laughs> uh, his sub-faction is the Reapers of Vengeance. Uh, and he's got a warlord. Uh, battalion giving him prayer enhancements and a battle regiment for everything else. He's got Scarbrand, Scar Bloodwrath, a Bloodmaster, a, uh, bl another Bloodmaster, and then um, and that's it. And then he's got a Bloodthirster and Fettered Fury, who's his general, uh, with Firebrand and the uh, Argath, the King of Blades, which is the three-inch no ward aura. And also, our first time we get to see it, the Nullstone Adornment, the Pouch of Null Dust. What this does is, at the start of the enemy hero phase, you can say that you're going to throw the pocket full of glitter at your opponent, and then any doubles that they roll during their casting are one of two or three, they will miscast. Um, and then he had five units of flesh hounds, uh, which is why I think Scarbrand uh, on the dog walk is the name of the list. Uh, and then he's got a unit of three mighty skull crushers and a unit of three blood crushers. And then the hex gorgeous skulls invocations. So don't forget those are anti-magic. Now, skull uh, corn has been talked about a lot, I think, uh, for two different reasons currently in this GHB or in the lead up to this ghb not forgetting this is the first event that we've had 
for this GHB. This GHB has given a load of wizards more additional spellcasting ability. You've got mortal wound damage spells as well as great buff spells, but you're also more likely to cast more spells. And so I think corn has been one of those conversations people have been having, or the army has been something they've been having a conversation about, along with no myriad for bone reapers, specifically because of all of the anti-spell protection that they have. Uh, in Nor Myriad, it's a 2-plus spell uh, ignore. And in Corn, it's a 5-up spell ignore. And you get a blood tide for each time you do it. So those are the armies that have been picked to be really good. In addition, they're just good armies anyway. So being able to play against what is seen to be the strength of the new, uh, new meta, which would be spellcasting, and also being inherently anti-Seraphon, which also feels like that's a very strong army as well, feels like this is something people are talking about a lot. So Pete doing really well with this list is good because it lets us talk about Corn more. Um, what are we seeing in this list? Okay, well, Scarbrand just is the hammer unit in this army, does loads of damage. And then the other Bloodthirster makes wards not available. So when you charge Scarbrand, Scar, Scarbrand and also the Bloodthirster in together, you have a no ward aura and you have someone who's doing a ton of mortal wound damage, which I think is really good. He's obviously got his anti-magic um, pick, both in the pouch of Null Dust and also the Hex Gorgeous Skulls. So he's shutting down magic twice in two different ways, as well as having an army-wide five-up spell ignore. And every time he does it, he gets a blood tithe, which is really good. So let's just talk about the actual games that he played. So he did play over the course of the weekend, and we streamed those games on the T-Sports Network. So if we just take a moment to look at his... Oh, this is the wrong game. Just very quickly. Sorry, chat. Uh, if we go and look at his first, his fourth game, uh, we were playing uh, the Geomantic Pulse Battle Plan. And if you can see, he's up against a Seraphon army. So in the bottom right-hand corner, you have Croak uh, and you have a Slan. Now, this is very much what you're going to see as uh, a meta Croak list in the future. Um, and again, this is Paul's list we're going to talk about in a minute. It does an incredible amount of mortal wounds. I think over breakfast this morning, we worked out that it can knock out roughly 50 mortal wounds in a hero phase if things go correctly. Uh, it actually can go higher. Uh, and there's a multiple m number of reasons. But Croak himself is worth about 24 mortal wounds. Uh, the Slan has got Comet's Call, so that's an additional amount of mortal wounds. Um, then the Slan can take uh, Blizzard, which is our spell that we get in this GHB, which is potentially up to 46 mortal wounds, but on average is 14, which is very, very high. The Realm Shaper is able to blow up terrain, which does more mortal wounds. Uh, and then uh, finally, finally, oh no, sorry, when you do Celestial Call Summon Points, you do even more Mortal Wounds um, uh, in AoE. And then lastly, uh, Paul very cleverly has been taking the Malevolent Maelstrom spell. He's been casting that into the mid-board, uh, and then he's been letting uh, units uh, die, powering that up, and doing even more AoE Mortal Wounds damage. So I think, I think 50 is about... I think between 30 and 50 is roughly what uh, one of these units is going to get if there's no spell ignores, um, and then it could get even higher. So the Seraphon army, incredible amount of output. So what you can see is Peter did in his first turn, he pushed his army forward, he used a pocket full of Null Dust, and he was like, look, I'm going to try and shut you down now. Uh, and then Paul wasn't able to do a much damage. Then in Peter's second turn, because he won the priority, he just went all in with Scarbrand on the left-hand side, um, he charged into the enemy Seraphon Castle. We'll just look at it here. There you can see him at the bottom and killed the stars here at the bottom of the board. And then uh, if we just change this, you can see at the bottom right-hand corner, uh, there he attacked. Um, he tried to attack this skink screen. Uh, now at Paul's turn, he just deleted everything. If we go and look at it in a minute, you'll see 
uh, with all of the spell damage, Scarbrand didn't survive, the Bloodthirster didn't survive, and none of the Cornhounds survived. So he was not able to defeat him, even wearing a, a witch's pilgrim's hat, an anti-witch pilgrim's hat. So how did this game turn around? Well, the thing that we've been talking about, which was the anti-magic nature of corn, played in really well in the later turns. So what happened was, is Paul tried to do even more spells again, and this time, Peter had used the Blood Tithe ability to change your spell ignore from a 5 to a 4. He then was ignoring a lot more spells and generating a ton of Blood Tithe. This eventually led to him being able to get 20 Blood Letters on the board, having already earlier on summoned a Skull Cannon, and then be able to take some more of the objectives, winning him the game by only a point. Pretty impressive, in my personal opinion. Uh, but it really goes to show that what happened, in my personal opinion, in that match was that the anti-magic nature of corn did work, but only just. Only just. Which is pretty interesting. Only just worked. He only was just able to shut down enough magic to generate. So maybe those dice rolls are built quite well. Maybe nine times out of ten, corn is going to beat Seraphon. But in that situation, it was very close, which I think is really interesting. The final game uh, that he had to play, uh, and the one that I think is really interesting, maybe not from a meta conversation, but also maybe from it, is how Korn did so well in this match. This was again against Seraphon, but this Seraphon army was much different. It was all Saurus and Crocs based, so it wasn't Star uh, Starborn, and instead it was Coalesced. He was playing against Tavi. Here you can see the Seraphon force pushed into the bottom of the board, grabbed uh, the screens, then Scarbrand went on a world tour, moving from the bottom left to the bo to the bottom right, as you can see here, taking out a load of those units on the bottom right and then kept going up further along the right hand side, grabbing all of those objectives and all of those units. But the key thing to look at is on the bottom left hand corner. This unit of Agrodons never got to engage in combat with uh, any of the corn force other than these blood crushers because they kept getting murder lust move blocked. It was actually pretty sensational to watch and Peter did a really good job of doing it. However, however, it's possibly too strong. Because if you're a combat army, if you're going to play competitive Age of Sigmar this season, you need to be aware that if you're playing against Corn, then you probably aren't going to be able to move several, at least one, but maybe several of your units in your turn, which is crazy. Like the inability to move your own army in your turn and the fact that Corn can shut you down in your own turn and don't forget, this is going to be after you've chosen battle tactics. What happens is, is at the end of the hero phase, Korn can spend one blood tithe point to move a unit d6 inches. And it's board wide, any unit can move. And so what he was using this unit of blood crushers at the bottom to do was to pin these units back, hold the unit back, and make it so that they couldn't engage in a fight at any point in the game. This allowed Scarbrand and the Bloodthirster to go on their world tour and blow everything up. Uh, which is just absolutely crazy um really really interesting really interesting match and he did great shout out to peter for doing so well so corn are as a as a army in the new ghb are going to be very interesting because while the anti-magic is definitely very strong it is swingy it's going to require dice rolls which is really really interesting as well but into combat armies it feels like it's very very good because it's got the ability to stop their hammer units from uh stop their hammer units from actually hitting your valuable units and we'll talk about that more as well as kind of like a, a review because there's actually even more to say about that so if you're running magic 
and you're facing corn, prepare to think about that. But if you're running like the Seraphon bomb, I think you'll probably be fine half of the time. But if you're playing combat, I would actually say that you are worse. Like corn is probably going to shut you down more than you think. And you should be conscious of that. So, uh, yeah, corn really interesting in this matter. Well done to Peter for proving it and doing a great job. Uh, so that was our first place, and that was corn. In the 4-1 spot, we have Dom, who also won best sports. So 4-1 and best sports, um, only losing to Seraphon. So he was playing Gloomspite Gits. He was playing Bad Snatchers. He had a Madcap Shaman with Moonface Momet. He had another Madcap Shaman with Merciless Blizzard, and we're going to talk about that a lot in a minute. And then a Dankhold Trogboss. He had 20 Mooncan Stabbers, 6 Rock Guts, 3 Rock Guts, 3 Fellwater Trogoths, and 2 units of 5 Boing Rock Bounders, the Gobbleblooser, and then a Dank Hold Trogoth uh, with the Andorian Acolytes and the Troghorde Heavies. So one of the things he was trying to do here was get more uh, of the Primal Dice, hashtag Primal, to generate a lot of spellcasting. There's something uh, to be said about how this army has been affected already massively by the Battle Scroll update. And again, we're going to go look at one of these games so you can see here. If you look in the bottom right-hand corner, you can see his game against the wonderful Rob Hull. There's Rob at the top there with his Vampire Lord uh, on Zombie Dragon and his Soblight Gravelord's army. But if you look at the bottom, this unit of six Rock Guts are screening a unit of three Fellwater Trogoths. Now, normal coherency, or coherency as it was last week, you would never have been able to do this because you wouldn't be able to push those Rock Guts out as much. But the new coherency meant that those Rock Gut Trogoths could screen their Fellwater Trogoths, and there's a really fun interaction there. Because then if you were to charge the Rock Guts, which are a very survivable front line, he could then use the Puke Standard Shoot Attack from the Fellwater Trogoths and reduce the armor save of the units that are fighting the Trogoths. Uh, it didn't end up working super well initially, but that's something really worth talking about and how that coherency is going to change the shape of the meta again in Age of Sigmar. Again, and an additional point, I think, as well, um, it's worth pointing out that we're going to see this in loads of different units. For instance, if we talk about Corn, Corn's a good example, you're going to see a strung out line of six Blood Crushers pinning in units mass like uh, in a crazy line like there's so much board coverage with that unit another good example um is varangard varangard are gonna now be able to fight just in a line of six so they're gonna be able to take up more board presence as well which i think is gonna be really good for them uh so that was just worth talking about because actually that's gonna be you're gonna see some interesting new shapes maybe even some interesting new kind of like front lines for units in the game which we previously didn't see so actually that's that's pretty telling uh, and I think that's absolutely worth talking about. Uh, other than that, um, actually talking about the list and what it does, it just does a lot of damage. The Rocket Trogoths are very survivable. Effectively, a 3-up save because they're under the moon and a 5-up ward save. The Fellwater Trogoths help reduce the armor save of the enemy unit, doing damage themselves, and then you just absolutely beat people up with the Rock Guts, right? Um, the Madcap Shaman do a bunch of spells. Moonface Moment also reducing armor saves again. Uh, Dankhold Trogboss uh, is just a really good battle tactic and a good fighter in itself. The thing that was really worth talking uh, the five Boing Rock Bounders are still, even with the points increase, one of the best kind of like small cavalry units because they're on a very small base, but they've got very good output for their very low points cost and small profile. They'll go places your opponent wasn't really expecting you to be able to go. They're good for grabbing objectives. They're fast. They're mobile really good unit as well uh, but 
the thing I want to talk about is Merciless Blizzard because I'm going to change my mind a little bit based on how I was feeling about the GHB last week. Merciless Blizzard is a spell that's cast on a 12. It's got a range of 12 inches. You can't modify that range. But if you do cast that spell, you take you can do 4d6 mortal wounds, an average of 14 mortal wounds to a unit within 12 inches. And this is actually going to be massive in this edition. Bigger than I thought it was going to be. Mainly because of just how many primal dice you're going to generate. In Dom's list, as an example, he was generating quite a lot of primal dice. Because as well as rolling it for the beginning, he also took uh, the battalion that lets you generate additional primal dice. What's also happening is here is uh, he has got a very low investment in what he's trying to achieve. And your, your rate of return... Is going to be massive so his madcap shaman is only 70 points and again if we go back and look at the match you can see here he's got this aggressive front line rob doesn't really have any option other than charging this army when he does charge this army or wherever he charges this army there'll be a wizard that's able to do 4d6 mortal wounds that's almost enough to immediately kill the vampire lord and zombie dragon that vampire lord and zombie dragon has all of the resources of the army pumped into it it's got the command trait it's got the artifact it's one of the hammer pieces of the army and the trading in this game has changed yeah this is that is warhammer rob shout out to him um the trading in this game has changed i would make a kind of bold rough statement right now based on this weekend that any units that go over 300 points 400 points that don't have loads of wounds so your monstrous heroes are a good example vampire and zombie dragon is a good example are much worse than they were before this ghb the idea of throwing a more crusher forward and charging into a line is pretty scary when a single 65 point 70 point 90 point 100 whip point wizard could immediately just take him off the board in the hero phase over the course of two hero phases definitely take him off especially if you're you have no problem suffering a primal miscast with that model because you're just looking to just yeet a unit off the board so i would say that like uh that's going to be and lots of people this weekend were trying it maybe over the course of the next few months it won't turn out to be the smart play uh, because like maybe Horfrost eventually ends up being smarter. Maybe people don't really plan on using it much. But I think you're going to be really surprised what happens when just a lunatic uh, just casts a ton. Uh, thanks so much. Just casts a ton of more wound damage at you, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, this in this in addition, thank you, uh, Declan, to the fact that uh, Bellacor got cheaper in this edition so bellicor got cheaper so you you should see bellicor more but the more wound damage that you're getting out of these models is going to really suppress or should i think in theory suppress some of these larger meta units that you might see like there are loads uh, there are loads and loads of units that don't want to take 46 mortal wounds but when you've got like a large wound sink uh let's say something like 20 source guard 14 mortal wounds will kill seven out of the 20 so it's kind of okay but on uh, a Keeper of Secrets, uh, you know, on Lukavai, on um, a Bloodthirster, I mean, they have a ward save, so that's slightly better. Um, uh, a, a Stonehorn, it's got a ward save as well, so slightly better. Um, is, yeah, and it's not super hard to cast when you cast Primals. If you, you should, if you get two Primal dice, you should be able to cast it, Okay that's the important part now of course your opponent's going to get primal dice as well but 
Dev might want to stop one of the other spells. Who knows? Uh, it's interesting. I think a lot of players were changing, were doing their 46 ball wound spell last. And they were like, I'm going to do this and do that. And then people were like, I want to shut down that spell. I don't want to just shut uh, shut that down to be fair to uh, pedro who's there this weekend by the way pete don't really enjoy 46 mortal wounds to be fair either i don't think anyone does i don't think anyone does and i'm actually surprised how many people took it and i'm surprised how many people tried to use it so my big takeaway as well is i think a lot of large miniatures um have got their effectiveness reduced in this ghb which i think is interesting as well and the fact that you can't shoot those units outside of 12 inches the game is in a crazy interesting place and very dynamic as well. We also saw this weekend a lot of teleports. Another good example that Dom was doing, because he has an army that can do a teleport, he was hero phase teleporting, and then he was just trying to blow that wizard up. Crazy stuff. So uh, really worth talking about. And thanks, Dom, for showcasing both uh, Blizzard and also coherency rules and how they've massively changed the shape of Age of Sigmar. So it's been really, really interesting. The next four one was Paul Bowden. Shout out to Paul. He was great, just lovely fella. Uh, he was playing Seraphon this weekend. He was playing Starborn, he was playing Fangs of Sotek. So the new GHB was in effect, new battle point, no uh, points, uh, new FAQs and everything. He, was he took Lord Croak, Asaurus Astroth Banabera. So Lord Croak has four spells. Um, and then an Ashroth Banabera who adds plus six inches to the range of spells and also um, gives plus one to cast and a six up ward aura. A Slan Starmaster is 275 points that casts three spells, one, one more than Lord of Change, uh, and has a command trait Lord of Celestial Resonance, which for each successful cast, unbind, or dispel this unit makes, you gain two CP instead of one. That will be on every single Slan in every single Starborn list until they FAQ it. It is incredible return on investment. That means that that slant generates six celestial core points if it casts all of its spells. In this battle pack, if you go second, because you get an extra cast, uh, if you go second in the turn, he'll they'll put the, and he's an Andorian locus. You get an additional cast on the slant. That means he's worth eight celestial core points himself for casting spells. If he unbinds three spells. He's worth an additional six. That takes him up to 14 Celestial Core Points. Just that 275-point wizard is insane. The value on that is unbelievable. Unchecked levels of insanity. Uh, that's important. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the artifact is a Space Folder Stave, which the first unit to be set up at the end of the movement can be deployed seven inches away instead. Just means when he uses his heroic action to teleport a unit, he can get closer. Uh, Skink Starseer, uh, which is really good, which is a Skink unit can move in the hero phase, uh, and also he can give a ward save out as well. Two units of Saurus Guard, these seemed clutch in all of his games. They are ablative wounds for all of the heroes. Uh, each unit is a unit of five, and they're two wounds each. That's 10 wounds, so 20 wounds for holding uh, on to... Uh, tw basically, 20 wounds on Croak, um, 20 wounds on uh, the Astroth Bonabera, any of those things. Then, a unit of Raptor on Chargers, and a unit of Skinks, a unit of Skinks. And then a Bacillon with the Ark of Sotek, some Haunters of Honchi with Dart Pipes. Uh, so these are our... Uh, these are our... Uh, uh, the chameleon skinks they're the noose chameleon skinks i got confused by those the other day uh oh thank you very much to one two three cubus to join patreon that's awesome of you uh while i'm recording that's great and then you had the gemlins of all uh and the malevolent maelstrom and ladies and gentlemen of the jury at home he was doing the most horrible things with these two models that i think anyone has ever done 
I think that anyone's ever done. So should we talk about what exactly is happening? Yeah. Oh, thanks, uh, Pete. Loads of love. Um, Geminids uh, means that you cannot use any command abilities or receive command abilities until the start of the next hero phase. You will still be able to do rally because this is the start. This ends at the start of the hero phase. Um, sorry, it ends at the start of the next hero phase. And what you can do is you can just let that ability happen and then do rally. Uh, so that ability to dissipate and then do rally. Okay, so Geminids. And Geminids won him the game against Dom with all of his trogs because none of those trogs were able to use Inspiring Presence. They've got pretty low bravery, uh, so they weren't able to do all-out defense or anything like that, and so they suffered pretty massively uh, and then all ran away. So Geminids is great. It's a cheaper version of Horogast. Stops so much stuff. Can't believe it's 50 points. I'm going to do an entire show on the Endless Spells at some point because they're super worth talking about. Then he was using the Malevolent Maelstrom. This Ender Spell is also crazy for 30 points. It basically uh, ticks up a counter, and when it's dispelled, or it gets to the top of the counter, it does a number of mortal wounds at that range. And ladies and gentlemen, Seraphon have a spell that lets you dispel an Endless Spell in it. It's a 12-inch aura mortal wound bomb, and Seraphon can also engage with that which is crazy. Now, I did talk about this already, but this is a magical gunline castle that will do somewhere between 20 and 70 mortal wounds in the hero phase. I don't think that's even outrageous. 20 and 60 um, mortal wounds with your average being like it being more around like 30 uh, if it happens, which is insane. And then for the privilege of doing that, what's going to happen is you're going to uh, also be able to summon or add more mortal wounds into your mortal wound output what we saw in quite a few games uh, was Paul was under the gun lots of his Saurus guard were dying and he was using his celestial core points to bring them back uh, and return models uh, because for your summoning points you can do a bunch of different abilities one of them is to do AoE mortal wounds one of them to do a heal and then some of them of summoning so uh, very effective and that's it other than his game against corn which is the only game he lost and lost by a single point uh, this army deleted armies it took trogs out in like two turns so all of the um, uh, the trog gloom spike gets uh, we saw it play against Archeon and incarnate and also uh, Bellacor and then it just tabled that army uh, very aggressively which was very good um, but just very, very good. So it just does a ton of mortal wound output, and I just don't know what to say. If you don't have the ability to shut down the magic phase, I think this is one of the best lists in the game. This will delete huge armies, huge volumes of armies. This will delete so much stuff, um, and I don't know if there's a way to beat it. Just, I guess, throw loads of stone horns at it and roll for turn two. Um, and this was post-nerf. Yeah, this was post-nerf. Um, uh, but I think it was worth it in the end. Yeah, laughs in Nor Myriad. Yeah, but not everyone is going to be playing Nor Myriad. I think is the trick. Uh, and sure, there is there is a singular build that definitely beats it, uh, which would be OCR Bone Reapers Nor Myriad. Everything else is super tough. So shout out to Paul uh, for showcasing what is an insane army. Like the output for this is crazy. Um, uh, like it's just yeah that that and also it does AOE mortal wound damage. So then, with the inclusion of Geminids, so that you can't use Battleshock—sorry, you can't use Inspiring Presence to ignore Battleshock—each unit is then running away. So then they're all running away as well. 
bananas. Paul, you've you've lit the world on fire. I love it. Absolutely great. And like, and anyone who says that Seraphon aren't good is just bonkers. Which leads me into my ne next list really, uh, really nicely. Uh, so I appreciate that. And the next list, and our last four one was played by the Kennedy himself, uh, Tavi Gain. I think I've said that right. I was saying Tavi. I apologise. I think it's Tavi. Um, and then he was running Seraphon Cottle's Claw. So this is the other version of the Seraphon book, which is great to see. He had Saurus Old Blood on Carnosaur with the Command Trait Vengeful Defender and the Artifact Sotex Gaze. A Skink Stars here with Hoarfrost again. Uh, that's different to what we've seen previously. So Blizzard, so this is our other version of that. So this is going to be changing the characteristic on some units. 20 Saurus Warriors, 6 Agrodon Lancers, 6 Croxagore, and 2 Basilodons with Solar Engine all in a Battle Reg. Now this army is very, very tough to kill. Everything other than the Skink Stars here is minus one damage to a minimum of one, which came in very clutch. These 20 Saurus Warriors are 40 wounds um, that can get up to, uh, they can have loads of save. At one point in the game, they had plus three to their save because they get plus one when they're contesting an objective. Uh, they start on a four up base save, I think. Uh, it might be a three up base save. Um, then they can also get a ward save from the Skink Stars here very tough to deal with and they fight really 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 well yeah it's a four plus armor save uh especially when you put hoarfrost on them at one point this unit had plus three to its save five up ward and it was ren two thanks to the hoarfrost spell which changes the characteristic from the stars here source old blood and carnosaur is a pretty cheap uh general and character uh the agrodon lancers became battle line in this list because the old blood and carnosaur um, was the general and then the six croxagore and then the basilodon at the solar engines at the back doing loads of shooting with their guns now what was fun to see about this list is this list looked really legit there was lots of output from the list uh, in the agrodon lancers and the saurus warriors the old blood as well to a degree that was backed up by the solar engines being able to also shoot and also bring lots of damage in as well uh, but it was the defensiveness of this army that was so impressive. They would tank huge volumes of damage and attacks, lose almost none, and be able to start fighting back, which is very impressive. So I, based on this weekend, I would say that Cottle's Claw Seraphon are very good. And if anyone is thinking about running Seraphon in the new GHB and wants to use these Cottle's Claw, like wants to use Saurus, then I absolutely would do it. Uh, so yeah, really good. Really, really good. So those are my takeaways from this weekend. And I think there's even more to go through as well with uh, this new GHB from this event. And I'm going to try and get a bunch of interviews with a bunch of players from this week uh, because I still think there's lots. But I think my big takeaways are that Blizzard, so the 46 Mortal Wound spell, is going to be more effective in games and is going to have suppressed some units being good more than I would have given it credit for before this weekend. I think that's my first big takeaway. I think my other big takeaway is coherency is going to change up the shape of the game uh, in a way that we haven't seen uh, used exactly right yet. Um, I think those new shapes and new army builds are going to work around the fact uh, that you can build slightly different armies as you progress up into the midboard, which I think will be interesting as well. So I think that's going to be really fun uh, to see happen. I would also say that I think Murderlust feels insanely strong now. This isn't the first time I've seen it, and it's not by no means new. We saw it play it at Worlds, and it'd be really good. But I think even post-nerf, I think it probably could do with not being moved into combat, I would say. Other than that, I think the big takeaway from this weekend, and probably the big takeaway 
uh, that's the big takeaways from the GHB. Oh, probably should talk about the battle plans. The last two battle plans we played were easily two of my favorite. We played Geomantic Pulse, uh, which I had massive feedback at being a really good battle plan, uh, especially good on day two when you really want to separate out the high skill players. I think that's a, a battle plan that could do a massive deep dive on. There's loads of information about how to play that battle plan really, really well. Uh, we also played uh, Limited Resources, the last battle plan, which we did a stream on the other day and not many people clearly watch that stream uh, because they've ran out of objectives to hold very early into the middle of the game, which is really fun. And again, doing a battle plan show would be really fun to do, so we're gonna do that as well. Uh, so I would say my last takeaway from the GHB specifically is that it's incredibly exciting. Loads of great battle plans, loads of great games, loads of interesting stuff, thrilling. So I would say that, and the, the whole thing is gonna be wild, really fun. Then moving on to the players and uh, the culture, I talked about that earlier, but I was just incredibly impressed. And I'm really excited to see how the Age community develops over the next years more because it's getting towards like really impressive. And that's kind of what we want as a community because it's even friendlier for new players to walk into because the tournament players are so friendly to, to, to be around, uh, which is good. And a special shout out to Dom because this is like his ninth um, ninth best sports award. At this point, what we're going to do is probably produce a Dom award, uh, which Dom wins, obviously, like just immediately for being Dom. If Dom turns up, he gets the award for being Dom, best Dom. Um, uh, and then we'll just, whoever second place best sports is, will get the second best place. Uh, like, I'd like to see him and Jacob Berry try to be best sports. Uh, who would win? Don't know. Uh, that'd be really fun. Anyway, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this video. I know it was a bit of a ramble. Uh, it was kind of like half a stat center and it was half a review from my event of the weekend, but, and also half my thoughts about like the new GHB, but all of those things hopefully coalesced in something that made a lot of sense. Uh, coalesced, nice joke about Seraphon there. Um, but yeah, just really great stuff, I would say. So, uh, and it's just an exciting time to be in AC. I just wanna play more. I was late to stream this morning because I was just talking more Age of Sigmar, having been talking Age of Sigmar all weekend, and I'm going to talk more this week, so it's great. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you to the Twitch chat for being part of the show. Uh, loads of love to you. If you hope, if you like the show, please do help support the show by joining Patreon. And yeah, have a great day.